All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, hello darkness, my old friend time. That kind of suck time. Hey, 10 more to go time. Is that really comforting time? Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Got the fun crew in Fort Rucker studio on this Monday morning. Hope everyone's having a good Monday morning out there. Hope your Sunday was better than your Saturday. Unless you're a BYU fan listening to this, in which case... You're having a great Monday. You're having an outstanding Monday. You probably went and bought lottery tickets on Sunday. Uh, is that Today, allowed? Is that all? I don't know. I don't know. Keep, keep it moving. If you are a BYU fan, you better enjoy it because you're playing USC and Washington in the next two weeks. Although I guess Washington did lose to Cal the other night. So shout out Justin Wilcox. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's I a good point. I came in at probably like 4 a.m. because I got the lead, but nevertheless, it happened. Yeah, in, in case you... Uh, first off, it'd be really interesting if you were listening to this podcast and you had not seen the game. But, but just in case maybe you hadn't seen that Tennessee football game over the weekend... Uh, not such a great one. Uh, Tennessee comprehensively, comprehensively controlled the first 59 minutes and 40 seconds of that football game. Did not play as well as it should have, but played well enough to win the game. Pretty much, if, if you look at everything except for red zone offense, Tennessee w- was superior to BYU in every way, uh, in, in every statistical category, more or less. Uh, better in special teams, uh, better defensively. Uh, better running the ball, better uh, against the run, better throwing the ball, better passing defense. Virtually everything except for red zone offense and and, and gray area offense, Tennessee was better in. And then the bottom fell out. Uh, you saw one of the most baffling plays uh, that I've seen in my time covering football. Uh, there was a 64-yard pass because Tennessee's Elante Taylor on a play that snapped with 17 seconds uh, left to go. And counting. And counting. Uh, he in a third and six play from the BYU 20, he just completely lost track of Micah Simon, uh, one of the only decent skill players I guess BYU has, and he ran right by the defense. Nigel Warrior missed a chance to cut him off near midfield, and off he went, rumbled 64 yards down to the Tennessee 16-yard line with seven seconds left. One spike later, field goal goes up. It's good. Goes into... Barely good. Uh, barely good. good. Yeah, by a couple inches. The fans so. behind the... Behind the end zone, thought it was no. Good. Is that not reviewable? See what I thought, and I, I, haven't, I admittedly, as of recording, have not gone back and watch, gone back and watched. Uh, I, I thought if it goes above where the goal, the physical goal post, goal post, it has to go. The ball has to be completely inside. Yes, I have. Right, I, I have actually talked to randomly two officials today. Um, that are, I mean, I didn't seek out officials. I just happened to know two people that are officials, and they they I'm asked kind of them kind of yeah what the what the what the rule is. <laughs> Let me name drop here without dropping any names. And they said if any if the ball if any part of the ball is over the upright, it's no good. Right, because if you extended that goalpost into infinity, and we're getting into some math right. stuff. My math, or my wife's a math, my math's wifey. My math, my Excuse wife me? is a math teacher. Excuse me. Teaching geometry this year, so yeah, I'm. Is that I'm some all, kind of innuendo? Uh, it's all. It's I it is. I'm suffering from. Was it dyslexia? What is it? Well, you can't get your. You mix your words up. Anyways. And is that reviewable? Is I that, thought it. That was maybe my it's question. not. I don't know. The people that sat behind the goalpost, the upright, obviously they're biased because they're all wearing Tennessee gear and they're Tennessee fans. As a complete aside, they freaked out. How can they not have chips uh, in the football yeah. in this day and age? Oh boy. 
just seems like they could do that. I, I did see some. About you get off my lawn with your microchips. I have seen. I have seen. I, that reminds me of a funny tweet where somebody was talking about how in tennis they have cameras that can like measure if, if shots are in or out. And yeah. There's like dozens of cameras and they can see if a ball is like a millimeter in or out. Same yeah. thing in soccer. And yeah. yet in football they've got old dudes that hold chains to measure first downs yeah. like that. And, and you're just guessing on the spot yeah, you're for just, the first three downs <laughs> yeah. before you have to measure on the last and, down. And, and they even have, um, in baseball, they have the K zone. I mean, the technology exists, but regardless, uh, that field goal was up and good. Game goes to overtime. Uh, it never should have come to that, though, yes, is the point. Correct. BY, I don't, I don't B- need technology. I just need uprights that extend to infinity. Uh, that would maybe actually be less, less simple to do, perhaps. But nonetheless, game goes to overtime. Uh, you, you, uh, you, BYU. Let's see if I can get this right. Uh, we're all struggling today. Uh, BYU, we're all owing to. yeah, we are. Uh, BYU uh, goes up there, scores a touchdown. So Tennessee has to score a touchdown to extend the game. Tennessee does that thanks to the second, just incredible catch of the day from Jawan Jennings. Uh, and then second overtime, Tennessee goes out there, kicks a field goal, and then BYU uh, just completely rolls up its sleeves and runs one trick play, but then rolls up the sleeves and goes right over Tennessee, uh, pushes through the Vols to the goal line, and that is game white blouses, uh, 29-26 BYU. Fellas, I have seen different ways to lose a football game. Uh, covering Tennessee for for this this era of the program's history, I have seen losses in the most stupid and probable ways. I think when you combine everything that had to go wrong in the just throughout that 60 minutes and beyond, if you if you count all those things that were just tiny little things that if one of them doesn't go exactly the way it went, uh, that might be the dumbest loss that I've ever seen. It might be the most incomprehensibly bad. Because Georgia State, they went out there and played a dud. We'll talk about that later. That was on the coaching staff, I I think, as much as anything. Saturday was some of the worst small-time execution I have seen from a Tennessee football team, and it was stuff that was so simple, I'm pointing fingers at players. Well, I mean, it's it's, – yeah, I mean, for a lot of programs and a lot of teams, something like what happened would be like, oh, I've never seen this before. But, like, Tennessee, this is like the – we were talking about in the press box Saturday night. This is like the third or fourth time that like there's been sort of a I don't want to say a happen? mental block. Yeah, like you you're you're in a prevent defense and you let a guy run by you. I mean Georgia twenty sixteen with Malik Foreman, uh, Mike Abernathy twenty seventeen Florida. But even those those were like extended plays where it was still bad. But true, but, and, but, yeah, and, and like we talked, you know, that was the difference is that on those plays, quarterback had time, and it was also ridiculous throws. I mean Jacob Easton was throwing from. What the numbers of the far hash he was, to he the was, far corner. He was stepping into the pocket from midfield. This kid was scrambling in the end zone thirty seconds ago. Oh, I mean, yeah, he he just his own end it zone. was a quick it was a relatively quick throw. I mean, he saw him and, and let's I mean, I'm sure Lante Taylor, he got a lot of heat from Pruitt. I'm sure he did, I'm sure he feels the worst out of anybody, but sure. let's not forget that if Nigel Warrior makes the tackle yeah. at midfield, Tennessee still probably wins. You're a safety, that's your job. At, at that point, BYU runs You're down. They're spiking it. Then you they've got, got a, about maybe play. two plays. They've got maybe one shot down the middle of the field. Um, and I don't know how good their kicker was uh, in terms of what his range was or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, you just, uh, I, you know, I don't understand. And you know, maybe Tennessee should have called timeout at that point to make sure that everybody was on the same page. Um, clock was running. 
I'm okay not spending a time out in that, in that moment because you, you know, the offense is the one that's having a rush, yeah. right? You, I mean, if you, but, if, if you call timeout there and then BYU gets a chance to set up, it's like get, get a different package of players out there yeah, and, get it, and it, get its best I mean, trick play out there. And then you lose on that. That's some second guessing there. I, you know, the, the, he's got to know, don't get beat deep. If you've got a deep third of the field, no one can get behind you. And maybe he didn't know. Uh, maybe he should have known. That's something we're not gonna not gonna know unless we talk to Elante, and that's probably not gonna happen. But I'd say that's off the table. You gotta go. Uh, you gotta go PlayStation and put your middle linebacker on the goal line. <laughs> yes. and just go from there. I, I, I mean, it, it was, and, and again, and we'll talk about this later. But I think for a vast majority of that game, uh, Tennessee's defense, and, and I think overall in the balance well, of play, was much, much, much better than Tennessee's offense was. Well, in, the, in terms of capitalizing the, and, and doing things, BYU scores twenty nine points, but. Um, you know, you, you, in regulation, they scored 16 and the only touchdown they scored was off of a Jarrett Garantano interception. And we'll talk more about Garantano, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, uh, tr- but uh, that was a short field they gave him. But then other than that, they gave up two field goals, what, no, three field goals. And one of them was after that play. Yeah. Spoiler alert. We're going to get an entire segment on Jared Garantano. I was, I was standing on the Southwest corner. You were on the field. Of the field next to the BYU sideline, closest to where all this stuff was happening. Uh, where the line of scrimmage was for this this last sequence, I thought it was over when they got the holding call. Uh, I definitely thought it was over when the kid scrambled for about six yards and the clock kept running. And, <laughs> yeah, and like, you could see on the BYU sideline kind of the faces of the coaches kind of trying to signal stuff in, and it was almost like a lost cause. Like just run something, you know, the clock's ticking. We're eighty yards away from the end zone, uh, and and somebody actually standing next to me said, "This, this is over, right?" Like kind of joking, and I said, "Yeah, it's over." And then I kind of said, well, it's not over because it's Tennessee. And I really even didn't believe that when I said it because, you know, we were just kind of – we weren't really seriously talking about what was about to happen. And then it just – I don't know. It happened. Yeah, from it's up top – unbelievable. From up top, you're like – first of all, you think when he catches it, you're like – and they and, and Warrior misses the tackle. There's no one in front of him. You're like – Right. You're like, he's gone. He's going to go score a touchdown. They're going to lose this game on that, an 80-yard touchdown If pass. that's an SEC player, he's still running. Well, within like five yards later, you're like, no, they've got the angles. They're going to catch it. Would that have been a walk-off? Would, would, uh, would there be any time left if he scored? Uh, I think there would have been time left. Probably a couple, two or three seconds. I don't probably. know, though. He, he was not the fleetest of foot. Yeah, he, Which he, is he, why about three guys were right the, on him. The only thing that could right have been more, uh, I don't know, a, a bigger kick to the coin pouch is if he walks off right there. Yeah, it's – I think that – there are there are things that happened in that game for which you can question the coaches. Sure, I think that, and ultimately the responsibility comes down to coaches, right? They're the one getting paid, the ones getting paid thousands, in some cases hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions of dollars to coach. So, so they're going to get criticism, and, and that's fair. But I, I don't know. I, I compared this. What happened to Tennessee's defense on that play would be like if if you have a nineteen or twenty year old kid. And he goes out and walks in front of a speeding bus, and you blame the parents for that. Uh, that is kind of morbid. But I'm, but I'm, what I'm saying is that a dark place here. Yeah, I, I, well, I did, but I mean, I, it hammered home the point. I think that what happened in that situation, if you've been playing football as long as these guys have been playing football, you know there aren't many seconds left. You know you're up by three points. You know that they don't have any timeouts, and you know that the only thing that cannot happen, the only way that you lose that football game is if that guy goes behind you. Now, if he stays, if you go too far back and he catches it in front of you, okay, maybe he gets a bunch of yards, you get him down around midfield, the clock's still running, they got to spike it. Who cares? 
the only thing that you cannot do is just wave him on by like you're directing traffic. And I, I, I don't really want to harp on, and I don't want to pile on Taylor too much because there were a lot of things that happened specifically on offense that were almost just as stupid. But my goodness, when you get to that situation, that's the only thing you can't and, do. And you go back and watch the replay, and he tightens his coverage right before the snap. He kind of steps up four he, or five he, yards. He must have thought they were in a different coverage or something. He had, that, he I mean, had to have. Yeah, that, that's the only thing that makes sense because it, it makes more sense if you think you have a safety over the top, obviously. But the way Pruitt explained it, it's thirds. That's your third. You're deeper than the deepest. That's your that's your area. Yeah, and it's pretty simple. And, and to play devil's advocate on what Wes said, and that's you know, yes, he should know if he's got deep third, he should know he can't get anybody behind him. But you know, what if he doesn't know? What you know, if you're Tennessee there and you burn a timeout just to make sure, or even if you burn a timeout at 18 I believe they seconds, they had one right. Yeah, Tennessee had one even in their pocket. You burn a timeout at 18 seconds and you put four guys at the 50. But then just again, to let that not happen, and you say, "Fine, throw it short, get a first down, whatever." You still need. That's how BYU yards. played defense literally the entire game, anyway. <laughs> so but, Tennessee ought to have been familiar with it. But, so I mean, so I, I don't, you know, that's sort of hindsight. I mean, on one side, on on one hand, you can say, "Well, you know, if you've got a timeout there, and you and you sense there's any sort of confusion, even with the clock running, even if it helps BYU get yeah, settled, you, you would also get crushed for stopping the clock for them. But if you if you stop the clock there and you don't give up that play and you win. Nobody's There's complaining no, right now. It's, so, it's, it's just a, a, it's, a minor it, hindsight it, complaint. No, yeah, it, it is a hindsight. And, and you know, if you're – like you said, if we, don't, we don't want to pile too much on to Taylor, but he's got to know up to that, up to that point. And, and we're talking a lot about this play because that, that was the defining play of the game. It absolutely was. Because at, at that point, I think everyone in the stadium knew, well, Tennessee's going to lose in overtime. You know, it just it and, just and, felt like and it's it, hard to blame them, and, and it's really it's it's, it's hard to reset after that. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's unfortunate too because there were a lot of positives. I think if you're Tennessee moving forward, you can take from this game. Played infinitely um, better, and, and Tennessee it, it, held that quarterback in check. I mean, and, they gave him 225 yards before that play. Right, he's a he's a decent quarterback, but he's so much better on a 25 yard field than he is on a hundred yard field. That Correct. makes sense. No, it does. It absolutely makes sense. And and and, and that's on top of all the momentum that was there uh, instantly for BYU and and total deflation for Tennessee on that sideline. Yeah, as soon as the game went to overtime, there were two things: one, the momentum of that game; two, just how bad Tennessee's red zone scoring range, you know, red area or you know, gray area, whatever you want to call it. As soon as Tennessee got in the thirty-five, its offense was absolutely abysmal. We'll have more on that later, uh, but we'll we'll also have more on. Specifically, Jared Garantano. We'll we'll spend an entire segment talking about this, but but to set this up a little bit, there. I mean, just in the column, and this was a, without having to go back and look at any notes from the game. Just from that column, I was able to point to about ten things that happened in the game that were incredibly small things. And if Tennessee does any one of those things, I mean, game's in, over. In hindsight, if you kick two field goals instead of going for it on fourth down, you have six more points. Correct, but I but, mean, but if you don't but, go for it, then you don't get a touchdown in the first one. I mean, you know. Well, I'm talking about the two they didn't get, and that, that's, again, that's some more hindsight, second-guessing. But, um, I mean, Pruitt is an aggressive coach. He's going to coach aggressively. I, I don't have a problem with going for him Neither either do I. time. Neither do I. Like I said, in hindsight, you wish you could have maybe had those six points because right now your kicker is just about automatic. Um, which is really – And, and I, don't, is, I, I, didn't like the, I didn't like the end-around call on, on the one with Palmer. They've been running between, they've Especially been running when your there. OLs are getting blown up. I mean, well, they ran for two hundred forty something yards. They did, running off tackle, but I mean. they were but they were running off tackle. But they had to do something to get outside the tackle box pretty quickly because 
BYU's defense was pretty decent right up the gut, and then on the periphery, it was not very good at all. So Tennessee didn't run it off tackle. I mean, you've been running off tackle all night. I mean, yeah, or just and get there fast, not take the time it takes to get it in around. And and even on even on that, you know, the the Josh Palmer, and this is what happens when you give the ball to a receiver and you ask him to do stuff like a running back. He didn't have he he could have given a little bit more gusto and a little more oomph to get the extra. I don't know if he didn't know Two where he was he on the field. I mean, all he had to do was extend his arm. And gotta, if it, gotta know where the stick is, as Jeremy Pro yeah, put it. It's fourth down. If you don't extend, like if you happen to extend and then you fumble, that's not good. But you're turning the ball over anyway. So I don't know that it's the end of the world. You have to you have to get to the stick. You have to know where it is. And if you're a running back, you're probably much more familiar with that because you've been getting short yardage carries your entire football career. So you understand the difference there. But in general, like just not extending, not trying to maybe finish runs to get an extra yard here or there, uh, just completely, completely missing wide open targets. Uh, there are so many things that if Tennessee just does any one of those things, the game is over. Tennessee's offense, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, Tennessee's offense left, by my counting, at least 20 points on the field. At least 20 points in a single game, Tennessee's offense left on the field. And, uh, and I'm talking about plays that should have been touchdowns and weren't. And then they end up getting field goals. That's four points. Well, this is West math, so keep that in mind. But your, your point remains that, that, they, that they had what's, I think in regulation, they had six drives inside BYU's 35-yard line. And with the way Brent Smagley is kicking the ball right now, that's field goal range. That's yes. scoring range. Uh, I think they had one touchdown. Three field goals and then the two fourth downs. Is that is that add up to six? I think that adds up to six. Yeah, if you if you include and there were multiple plays on those field goals uh, and even the fourth downs they didn't get where you know I think one, there were two fourth and ones. If you can't get a yard, you if, know if, that's if, debatable. But um, yeah, I mean the, the the one right before half that that would that would have been a killer touchdown if they get it and they should have had a touchdown because Juwan Jennings is running wide open down the seam. Yes. And Jared Gantano was just late on the throw, and it gave the BYU uh, BYU guy time to get in there and knock the ball away. And there was another moment in the third quarter that completely changed the complexion of the game, and we'll get to all that in just a second. But I, I want to make sure that before we talk about Garantano here, that we that we're cognizant of the fact that it was that two things happened in that game. One, Tennessee played much, much, much better football. That's not arguable. That's not debatable. Tennessee played if Tennessee went out there seven days before and played the exact way that it played against BYU that's not a close game in the first game it just doesn't happen Tennessee wins that game comfortably no the way they played against BYU made the Georgia State game seem like the preseason kind of atmosphere that I guess we talked about before the Georgia State game exactly I mean it felt like BYU you know they didn't they didn't play great but the effort was there it looked more like uh, they were ready to play that football game like, like they should look. And here, here's what concerned me the most. The, the second thing that happened in that game is that Tennessee, as a program, collectively, has lost the know-how when it comes to winning football games. Tennessee, in those moments, is no longer a team that wins those kinds of games. Tennessee loses those kinds of games. Those are the kinds of things people talk about, you know, curses and all that. That's that's nonsense. That that doesn't exist. I'm sorry. If you believe in them, good for you, but you're wrong. There are no curses. What there are are cultures. That's what exists. 
and Tennessee for years, uh, and, and throughout the throughout the, the Philip Fulmer era, how many times did Tennessee play like garbage and just find a way to win a game? Just find a way to win. Now Tennessee a bunch. And, now, and, now, and, and, com- and complain about a ten and two season back yeah, in the day. And, and now Tennessee is playing okay football or solid football, and then finding ways to lose games. And they this is why you bring coaches in and out, you bring players in and out. None of that changes that somewhere in the very core of this program, there is a sickness. Losing is a sickness, and they have it, and they're, they have thrown five-star and four-star players into the mix. They have thrown millions of dollars into the mix, and none of it has changed the fact that this program is in the very worst place you want to be because these guys don't know how to win together. When, you, when it keeps happening over year after year after year after year, you eventually become the team that just has no it factor whatsoever. And they don't have any. And all it takes is simple things that winners do that they don't do. And that's why I think they are where they are right now. And, and guys, I'm telling you, this is absolutely not a quick fix because this goes several coaching staffs. This goes several different players, many of them top 100, top 50, five-star, four-star caliber players. No matter what they've done, they just have lost the ability to win those games. And, and it, you can't be a good football team and, and if, you, if you can't do that. You can't win anything that matters. I mean, it, it goes back a decade. I mean, every, every time you fire a coach and hire a new coach, if you don't make the right hire, you're digging a pretty deep hole. And Tennessee struck out in 09. Tennessee struck out in 2010. Tennessee struck out in 20, uh, what was that, 13? 12 or 13, something like that. I mean, and every time you strike out, that hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and the SEC keeps getting better and better and deeper and deeper, and 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 this is what you have. You have a football program that's pretty badly deteriorated. And, and Tennessee does not have the kinds of players right now that you need to compete for, you know, an SEC East championship to compete for nine, ten wins. They don't have those players. But I'll tell you what they do have. They have better football players than Georgia State. They have better football players than BYU. And you can't tell me otherwise. We just watched those games. Tennessee had better athletes in both of those games. No question. Across the board, Tennessee had better football players. And these aren't programs. Like, BYU has been just kind of meh for a little while now. It's just been meh. It's, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think by any means that there's any comparable players between Georgia State and Tennessee. I think that was just a terribly coached game, terribly schemed, terribly... Uh, prepared, terrible effort from their players, uh, just top to bottom fundamental failure. Uh, BYU, you're one really, really bad play away from winning the game and, and there being a little sense of normalcy Yes, uh, in this town right now. I mean, if you play like you should against Georgia State and you win that game, uh, it's not far-fetched to say they could have beat Georgia State if they showed up and, and actually tried to play a good football game. Uh, and it's not far-fetched, obviously, to say that they – should have beat BYU because they had BYU beat. What was it with 30 seconds left and 99.6%? Despite making so many mistakes. Win probably. Yeah, despite playing a pretty, you know, average at best football game with, with a little bit of effort this time around. I mean, you could be sitting here just as easily 2-0 and and everybody hyping up this program and thinking it's the greatest thing in the world, and, and here you are thinking you're spinning your wheels again and, and wondering about this coach and the coaching staff. And the question is where, where Tennessee is going to go from here, but we're going to have – 
plenty uh, of time to discuss all that. What we are going to do right now is we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to have that really uncomfortable conversation that no one wanted to have after two football games this season, and that is what Tennessee needs to do about the situation at quarterback. Ads are good, though. Paying bills are good. Tennessee football not playing so well, but what is good is is paying bills. We're going to go do that for a second. Hashtag ad. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever ads you just heard during that commercial break. I got the fun crew in the house of Fort Rucker studio this morning, this Monday morning, Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Grant Ramey. A lot of fun things to discuss. A lot of fun things to discuss. Uh, sometimes it's like you want to start the week with like a good amount of energy. It's um, it, it, it's difficult right now to to have that, but uh, we will try to, to have some humor. We will try to keep in good humor about this, but uh, not not where Tennessee wants to be, not where Tennessee should be. The, the question now, fellas, just how badly has Jared Garantano performed in the past two weeks and what needs to happen now? Now, let, 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 let's throw a couple things out there at first. Uh, if you're just looking at the numbers, you're missing the point. It's not at all. Now, at the end of the day, it's a results-oriented business, but if you just look at the numbers, you would not think Jared Garantano played poorly. You wouldn't. You'd look at him and go, okay, but it would have been better without that, those couple picks, but, nah, you know, he completed a lot of passes, yardage is okay. That's not at all the deal here because Tennessee has had receivers open. Tennessee has had receivers making plays. Uh, and there have been so many yards and points that have been left on the board already. And we'll break that down a little bit here in just a second. But, fellas, overall, how shocking is this? Because I, I know that I spoke with people in the program both late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, throughout the day on Sunday, a few different people, and I, I don't know what they're going to do. Jeremy Pruitt's going to go out there and talk to us uh, here in just a few hours here on, on Monday afternoon, and he's going to say whatever it is he's going to say because he's going to get asked about it. And I don't know what he's going to say, and I don't know right now what they're going to do. But what I can tell you is that there are people up and down that program who are beside themselves in frustration and letdown over the performance of the quarterback because no one, even people who weren't big Garantano defenders in the building, are shocked by what they've seen the, the first two games of this season. Well, I mean, I think if uh, with better quarterback play, they're two and zero. Yes, and, and and that's that's. I mean, I think it's over overly simplistic to say that Jerry Antonio is the only reason Tennessee's zero and two. I think that's I not totally fair to him. He's not been good, but uh, let's not forget they gave up thirty eight points to Georgia State. Uh, gave up two hundred forty two yards in the second half. So, um, but I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of what went wrong offensively in the BYU game was down to Garantano. You look at the other parts of the offense, and and you can find a lot more positives. I mean, I think the offensive line. I know they ran a lot of stuff outside. Uh, and the offensive line wasn't perfect. They still made a lot of individual mistakes. Still got, you know, still had some guys that got beat, holding penalties, things like that. But sure. that's going to happen. 
Um, but I think the offensive line, you can say, hey, they took a step from the first game. Mm-hmm. Running backs definitely, you know, took a, took a step. They finally got a chance to take a step. I, I think they, you know, Tennessee kind of just gave up running the ball in the second half against Georgia State, but they were really committed to it. Uh, partially because I don't think they trust their quarterback down the stretch of the BYU game. So, um, and then the receivers, you know, I, I think they have some guys that can make plays out there that are that are getting open, that are in position to make plays, and either the quarterback's not seeing them, quarterback's not finding them, or he's throwing it late, or he's missing throws. So, uh, you can point to a lot of missed opportunities that. Uh, that Tennessee had against BYU and, and say that those are directly on the quarterback and directly on Derek Garantano. And um, I think it's, I don't want to say shocking, it's, it's really disappointing because a lot of people thought, uh, even myself included, that you, you know, that he would be better. And I think it yeah. was fair to expect him to uh, show improvement in some of the areas that gave him trouble last season. And uh, through two games, I don't, I, I can't really say that we've seen a whole lot of uh, improvement in, in some of those areas uh, that, that have plagued him in the past. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, players are obviously supposed to get better. Uh, the longer they're in a program, the you know the more football you play at this level, the better you're supposed to be. You know all the changes at offensive coordinator through his career, and you know all the coaching turmoil, everything that's happened. Obviously, that's not going to help a kid uh, progress the way they should or the way you think they should. But still, I mean, th- this is a guy I can't remember what his stats were at Auburn last year, but he went over 300 and a couple touchdown passes, and he was standing in the pocket and delivering a a pretty good football in some tough situations. And uh, he was a serviceable quarterback against uh, Kentucky when they played really well at home and, and beat a good ranked team then. Uh, to what he is now, it just – I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, you on that on that Jawan Jennings throw to the end zone, it felt like half the stadium was yelling for him to throw it before he threw it. And by the yeah. time he did, uh, it was broken up because the throw was so late. It was like there's that much anticipation. Like how is he not seeing what everybody else is seeing? There's, and that wasn't the only time, obviously, he missed uh, targets that were open or, or, you know, late to reads and stuff like that. And, and you go back to Georgia State and the cornerback blitz he missed and that stuff, it, I don't know. I don't know if he's thinking too much, if this is something that can be fixed, you know, how much rope you give him to fix it uh, before you start thinking about a change. I don't know. It's just been a disaster. There's three plays to me that stick out, and you, you touched on one of them, the, the Juwan Jennings play. I mean, that, that drive, Tennessee was trying to run the clock out. I, I don't know how much time was left when they got the ball. Um, but you're up 10-3. You've, you've been in control the first half. You're kind of backed up in your own territory. Don't do anything stupid. They ran one play, and they ran another play, and the, and the second play was uh, one of Chandler's big runs. And then you get in the scoring territory, and you got enough time to take some shots. And uh, they had a shot there, and, and it, it should have been a touchdown. I mean, that's – I don't – you know, Jim Chaney calls that play, dials it up, has a guy running wide open down the middle of the field for, for a touchdown. He can't go out there and see that play for his quarterback. Nope. The other, he was – Furious. The, it, it, Players furious. And there was a player, and there was a play after that. I, I still, like I said, I haven't gone back and seen it at the time we're recording this, but I think Josh Palmer was open, and, and Garantano didn't see him. And I think that's what Pruitt, Pruitt brought up two plays right before the half that they missed, that Garantano missed. Uh, the other two plays that define it for me was one just as a bad throw. They had a uh, they faked the handoff, faked the end around, you know, mm-hmm. the old hidden ball trick. Yep. And Josh Palmer's got two guys beat on a deep post. And Garantano overthrows him by three to five yards. I mean, you got to hit that guy in stride. I'm sure Jim Chaney's up there thinking, or put it on him and let him, and he'll hold up <laughs> and, a little bit. And, but he's still got yeah, a and I'm sure Jim Chaney's up in the box thinking, you know, Jake Fromm makes that throw. Yeah, <laughs> you know, quarterback, you know, Jacob Eason three years ago makes that throw. So he watched Jonathan. Um, he watched Jonathan Crompton make that throw. That, yeah, I mean, I mean that, and, that's what's even more troubling. That one, obviously, that's probably his only read. And he saw it, and he delivered the ball. He stepped up and delivered the ball, and, and he still and he didn't hit him. And he's and he's and, and Garantano's gotten better as a downfield 
throw. I mean, I, you know, those aren't those aren't necessarily high percentage throws, but I think when he's been on, he's done a good job of giving his guys a chance to make the play. And he even give, you know didn't even give Palmer a chance to make the play. The other the other play that defined you know that sort of defined Garantano's performance was the interception, where he throws the ball into triple coverage when he's got two guys on the other side of the field. The first down, and I don't know who the receiver was on that side. It might have been Palmer, but the, DB, was, the it, DB was on the ground. The DB had slipped. He, he, ran, and he was still ten yards off. He ran a comebacker, and the 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 DB completely lost his footing trying to keep up with him when he because he got turned around there and he fell down. And, and it's not he got the turf monster bit him. And it's not like that was a quick throw. I mean, Garantano had time to sit there and, and survey the field, and you know he should have seen that there were two to three guys around Dominic Wood Anderson as who he's trying to throw the ball to. Okay, that's not open. Look the other way. I mean, and that changed that changed the entire yes, that, football th- game. That changes. You, you go. I mean, you, you, that got BYU well, back in the game. You have a chance if you're Tennessee. Yeah, you missed the chances right before the end of the, right before halftime. But at the same time, that those three points that you kind of settled for there were still kind of gravy because you open that drive trying to run the clock out. So, uh, and you and you go in with a two possession lead and you're getting the ball to start the second half. Uh, and, and that interception gave BYU a short field. They scored a touchdown right back in the game from the start, and it was a game from that point on, whereas, you know, if, if you're Tennessee, you come out of the locker room, you maybe script a, a drive, and you take it, you know, you go up 20-3 to three there, or 16-3 to three even. And so um, that that throw was just I, – I, you wonder what he's seeing. There were other throws that could have been picked off. There was one even on the field goal that they kicked in the fourth quarter uh, where they had a, a – they had a, you know – a bunch route over to the left, um, and he still tried to throw it at double coverage to Juwan Jennings. And if he throws it a yard one one direction, it's probably a pick six. I mean, there were two guys over there. I mean, yeah. you, you can't. And at that point, if you're Jim Cheney, you're thinking we can't throw the ball anymore because I can't trust this guy not to throw it in coverage. And so, to Garantano's credit, he came back and made a couple throws in overtime. One on a third down, uh, one to Juwan Jennings, and, and well, even that, and that, even that, his, that ball should have been. Well, picked. even his first touchdown pass, he was trying to throw to Dominic Wood Anderson, who was open, had a step on his guy in the back of the end zone, and um, didn't throw it over and, the second level. Yeah, and and we see them work on that play in practice. Yeah, they do a lot of red zone stuff, and a lot of times when we've seen them work on that play in practice, Chris Winkie, Jim Chaney, whoever whoever it is, is saying, "Get the ball over the linebackers. Get the ball over the linebackers." He tried to throw a bullet, and. and and they got completely lucky. Even if even if that linebacker doesn't pick it off, he knocks it down. It's fourth down. You don't get anything out of that drive. So, just, I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to do from this point on. I, I don't know. Garantano didn't talk after the game, so we we can't like get his thoughts on how he played. But uh, it, I, it, you're in a tough spot if you're Tennessee because I don't think these freshmen, either J T. Shroud or Brian Maurer, are ready. Neither of them have taken a snap in a college game. Yeah. But do you really not know that they're not ready? Because there's no way to know because they never played, and yeah. so there's only one way to find out. And then uh, I think Wes, you I think on Twitter pointed out the you know the politics of it. You don't want to do something to make Garantano mad, and he bails. I mean that's that's the thing nowadays is you know yeah once you know and he's already used a red shirt, but uh, if he plays less than four games, you know whatever uh, that's that's all hypothetical at this point. But and I still expect Garantano to be a starter against Chattanooga, but it, it, I don't, I'm interested to see how they handle it this week. I'm sure Pruitt will get asked about it. He, uh, on Monday, I think he's supposed to talk at the uh, Knoxville Quarterback Club, which he'll get is. some fan questions. Which that'll be fun. Even if he doesn't talk about it at his press conference beforehand, there certainly will be multiple fans who probably will. That might be the first question. Yeah, here's what really bothers me. There's a couple things. One, regardless of what system you're playing in, regardless of of any of that, 
there are things that if you have been a college quarterback for four years and you're in your third year as a starter that you have no excuse for not seeing. You have got to be able to see the field. And I don't know. It's almost like he's regressed a little bit in that way. And he needed to get better in that way, but it's almost like the, the first two games have been a regression there. And and that's what that's what I don't understand. And, and the second thing is uh, – Spoke Sunday with a, a former Tennessee player, a guy who played under two offensive coordinators at least. One was Jim Chaney, one was not. And he said that the the thing that he could not figure out, and he spent all Saturday thinking this throughout the game, he got up on Sunday, he watched the game on DVR again to make sure he was seeing it right. And, and he said what he could not understand at all was that Jim Chaney was the best coach at any level he had ever been around who made things simple. Jim Chaney is renowned for his ability to teach and his ability to understand what his players understand and what they don't, and he gets to know them and how they work and how they think, and he makes them understand things. He makes the game seem simple. And he said how anyone could go from whatever the, whoever the coordinator was before, in this case it was Tyson Helton, to Jim Chaney, he said that should have opened up the entire field because it would have Jim Chaney would have found the way to explain it to him where he would make it, it would be really simple. And he said that for a guy to go into that situation, let's not forget, this is one of the guys who helped, you know, resurrect Jonathan Crompton's career. And Jonathan Crompton for his first three or four years on campus, something, I mean, his wires were crossed as soon as the game started on Saturdays. And, and Chaney was able to help fix this guy, that guy. So what's going on now it absolutely stuns me, and I'm trying my best to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to think, well, you know, it is a new offense. Maybe some things about it, he's just rusty. Maybe on some plays, a guy doesn't run the route correctly, so it's really on the receiver and not the quarterback. I'm, I'm doing my best here to make sure I'm trying to be very, very fair about this. But on a lot of these plays, when you go back and watch them, he's just not seeing the field. And I don't know if if by your fourth year in college and third year as a starter, if you're not seeing that, I don't know when you will see it. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think Pruitt would say some of the stuff he says if it was more on receivers than quarterbacks. Uh, when he says stuff like there were a couple throws there that we didn't hit or something like that, I think that's what he said Saturday night. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that there were a couple there that they didn't take advantage of. But, yeah, it's uh, what Chaney has done in the past, what he's done at Tennessee. Tennessee fans have seen him do, like you said, with Crompton. Just the regression with, with Garantano doesn't make sense. I mean, go back to last year. There was a lot of friction, apparently, between the head coach and uh, the offensive coordinator because it ended up the offensive coordinator left to take another job. Uh, and here's Chaney and and. Garantano was a serviceable quarterback last year. He did enough to keep them in games, to, to win a couple games. Obviously, the season didn't end the way anybody wanted it to, and it's it's kind of carried over, I guess, to, to the start of this season. But, you know, you, you better take care of business early against Chattanooga. You better get those young guys as many reps as you can because uh, after that you're going to Gainesville, and Tennessee's been to Gainesville before with questions at quarterback, and that blew up in their face. Uh, I guess that was 2013. So uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the Nate Peterman yeah, show. The, you, Nate, the Nate Peterman show started that day. You want to give yourself the best chance to win, regardless of who the quarterback is, but you don't want it to blow up in your face. 
uh, the way that one did. Yeah, going into this season, and I think if I didn't say it on the podcast, then I wrote it on the board at some point, and, and we all gave our opinions on on some of this stuff. And and I said that I thought the absolute basement for Jared Garantano, the absolute basement was that he was a guy who would not make a bad team good, but would not make a good team bad. And that, to me, was the basement. I think I was wrong about that because the way that he has played the past two weeks will make a bad team worse and or make an, an average team bad. And, and that is something that you just can't have. And, and I know that it's, I do not enjoy going after college kids. I really don't. I really, really don't. I saw the Crompton thing. I know how ugly that got. It sucks guys. It sucks. But when you're a quarterback at a place like Tennessee, this is how you're going to get treated it's when a you global don't perform. Position. <laughs> Thanks, Butch. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that here's here's where I am on this. There's one reason, only one reason that I'm keeping Jared Garantano as a starter for now. But I think it's a good reason. Under no circumstances do I want the first start in anyone's career to be in Gainesville, Florida. I don't want that. I want to avoid that like the plague because that can take a guy's confidence and rattle it for a while. That is something that you, even if it's not like a top five showdown between two, you know, all these two top five teams and all this national pressure, I still don't want to throw my quarterback into that Gator pit for his first start. And I don't think so. So I think that they either make the move now or they make it during the bye week after the Florida game. That's the only thing, because then your first start is Georgia, which still sucks, but it's at home. Uh, you know, it, it gets difficult. It, and I understand why people are saying, if you don't make the move now, don't make it for a while. Because you're throwing him into whoever it is, into a really, really nasty situation. But that's the only argument I've got right now, is that I don't want, I don't know if they'll do it just yet, and I don't think you want it to be, someone's first career start in Gainesville. That's all I got. I, I don't – other than that, I, if Tennessee had any kind of option with any kind of experience now, I would strongly consider making the move right now because that's how alarming the first two weeks have been because he's making mistakes that you just can't make. Yeah, he, I mean, he's making mistakes that you don't expect a fourth-year guy to make, even though he's played in all these different they're, systems. They're, fre- they're freshman mistakes. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, uh, it's interesting you, you phrase it that way. It's freshman mistakes. Well, that that makes that'll make people think. Well, let's just why don't we throw the freshmen out there and watch them make those mistakes? Because at least you can live with them. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's uh, if you're Tennessee, you still have to. And I know people are saying, you know, at quarterback and elsewhere, just play the kids, let the freshmen play a lot. Uh, I think they're going to start playing more freshmen. You can see with Crouch and Harrison, they're getting yeah, yeah, close. Crouch and Harrison, you know, Pruitt talked about them last week specifically about how close they were. Both those guys played a little yep. bit more. Crouch played a lot. Had a good game. You know, I think he I think he was at fault on BYU's touchdown run in the third quarter. I think he just kind of overran him, overran himself out of that play. But um, you know, that that that's a, a mistake you you kind of expect a player to make. And the you know, it, again, you people will say play the freshman. It's different quarterback though. And and that needs to be uh needs to be pointed you know, pointed out that and we've seen with Crompton yeah. that guys can come back from absolutely terrible play to end up being serviceable players. So it's happened before. If it can, and I say this before, if it happened with Crompton as bad as that situation had gotten, it can happen with anybody. So it could yeah. get better. Yeah, and you you would expect it to, to get better because Garantano has had games where he's played better than this. Yes, 
Um, but he, you know, that's two games in a row now where he's uh, that have been the numbers have been okay, but the, the performances themselves have been flawed. And his mistakes against Georgia State it was the turnovers against uh, BYU, it was the misreads and misthrows and late throws and, and and all those kinds of things. Those mistakes have cost Tennessee games. I mean, and, and that, you know, like I said, it's it's overly simplistic to be oh well, you know, Jay Garantano is the only reason Tennessee's owned to. That's oh, not the case. A game manager at quarterback, and people hate that label. A game manager right now is two and zero. Yeah, but I mean, even him, you know, it it's just it's confusing to me because sometimes you see him make throws into double and triple coverage, and you're wondering what he is he thinking. And then there's other times where. It almost looks like he goes, okay, one read, two read, and then just hits the check down. People were, you know, people have been upset about Tennessee throwing behind the sticks on third down. It's like he's checking the ball down because there's nothing open outfield. Now there might be something open outfield if you know we need the the all twenty two, the the wide shot to see. But uh, I think Georgia State and BYU have done this a lot where they haven't really rushed a lot of guys. Uh, they rushed four, yeah. they rushed three. And they, I, don't, I don't know why you would right they now. They dropped seven and dropped eight into coverage um, and, and played zone and. and and Garantano has been quick to check the ball down in those situations. And if, uh, you know, it used to be, you know, uh, I don't want to say you had to blitz a whole lot to get to him, you know, given Tennessee's offensive line struggles. But uh, now it's if you're if you're third and nine and you're playing Tennessee and you're defensive coordinator, you're you're rushing four, rushing three, and dropping guys. I, and you're I, saying make a throw. I still think Florida will just bring those tears off the. Well, edge they don't. They, and, Florida, and, Florida probably won't. Have, you know, these SEC teams won't. They they will be even less inclined to blitz because they have the athletes that can that can. You know, Alabama's and Georgia's. They can get to the quarterback with with just rushing three and four. But, uh, but BYU and Georgia State both kind of play defense to say you're not. We're not going to give up anything big. Now they still got some big plays. Um, you know, Jawan Jennings had a couple big plays in both that, those that, games that he and, made almost entirely on his own. And, you know, it the needs deep, to be the said. deep the deep crosses are open against the zone. That's that's a that's a route that works um, and has worked for Tennessee. But um, that's how team that's how these first two teams have played Garantano, and he's been content to go through one or two quick reads, I guess, because I, I don't who knows where his his clock is in the pocket. It's all over the place. I mean, it's gotta you, be. you 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 know, and you can't really blame him given the beating he took last year, where he had almost no time, but. Um, and, and I think the pass protection was pretty good Saturday night. I, I think there were a couple times where he, you know, he got flushed, but I think they only gave up one sack that was on an intentional grounding. Yeah. Um, you know, they had some guys that they get beat and gave up pressures, but I think overall, Garantano didn't spend the night running for his life. He definitely wasn't under as much pressure as Zach Wilson was for BYU, I think. Correct. Um, and so you, you, that that's how teams are sort of playing him. And and I just, I, I just, I, I, some of the things that that he does, I just, I, I'm confused that I don't know what his thought process is when he goes through two quick reads and checks the ball down to the line of scrimmage. And there's two guys on the running back right away. That play's never going to work. Uh, and then there's other plays where he forces the ball into coverage when you're like, uh, it's just, it's not something you want to see from Baffling. a fourth year guy. Yes. Baffling, befuddled. Do, do any of bewildered. us. Bewildered. Bewildered. That's a good one. But before we step away for, for our final break here, do any of us expect now again, they might go out there and announce – Pruitt might announce here in just a few hours, hey, uh, there's going to be a quarterback change, and then this entire conversation is going to be moot pretty quick because we're going to have to record another podcast and talk about a quarterback change. But do any of us – Even if you think – well, even if they're going to make one, I, I'm not sure. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt's going to tell us. Yeah, I could say – He likes the secrets. I, I could see something about him saying – Secret secrets are no fun unless you tell everyone. Yeah, I think it could be something where he – maybe he says it's back open. I think that's about the harshest thing that he would say publicly uh i i just i think because of where they are right now uh, i don't 
you can make an argument that, that you do it now or you have to wait several weeks. Uh, but I, I don't know if they're quite ready to do that yet. But then again, I can tell you the very first thing I said in this segment was that there were a lot of people in the program who were absolutely beside themselves with anger and frustration and disappointment and sadness about the way he has played so far this season. And sometimes you got to change things up just to keep the locker room fresh when things, when you're struggling, we've seen this, we've covered enough losses now to know that when you start piling up losses, a locker room can get pretty sour in a hurry. You got to make sure that the guys on the team still believe in what you're doing. And if you put guys out there and they consistently don't perform and you keep putting them out there, then you're going to have problems in your locker room. That's just, that, that's just history set tells you that. Yeah. I mean, I'm still at the point where I'd be surprised if it happens right now. Uh, I would obviously play those kids as many, as, as many snaps as you can against Charlotte, uh, assuming you can't really assume anything at this point that the score goes the way that you want it to go uh, and go from there. Well, we're going to, if you thought this was a, a deep conversation, uh, you're going to want to come back after this break because we're going to be discussing something even more important, and that is what does all of this mean for Jeremy Pruitt and his tenure at Tennessee. So stick around. We'll be right back after we go uh, pay some bills with products and services and in-house ads and all that stuff. So hashtag ad. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back the Go Boss 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever commercials you just heard a second ago. I got the fun crew in the house here on a Monday morning. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Grant Ramey, Ryan Callahan taking the uh, taking the, the nice uh, leisurely time off right now for reasons that are unbeknownst to me, but whatever. Getting a haircut, shopping. His loss. Celebrating the Cardinals. Celebrating the Cardinals, that's a good point. You know what? I thought we were going to have a nice, friendly podcast here with the fun crew. This is supposed to be the fun crew. It's not the fun crew if you if you start going there. You take it south in a hurry. What's wrong with talking about baseball? It's uh, baseball season, right? Well, because Javi Baez broke his thumb, and, and also my spirit broke right when that happened. Mm. So hmm. been a, it's been rough. How about that? It's, it's been rough. Mago, Mago's the magic man. Because that Braves-Cubs playoff series is not going to happen now. It still might. It mm. still might, and Mago comes back dramatically with a walk-off home run. Well, right, right now the, the Cubs are just hoping to get to Dayton. Yeah. Fortunately, they still have a chance to get back to the Cubs Invitational. Well, it, does, it doesn't look like this time they'll be ha- – at least, at least this time true. they wanted to play They're, they're going to take the Cubs Invitational on the road this season. Hey, guys. Uh, right of the nation's capital. It's like a home and away thing. You've got to rotate. 1995 called. It wants its hubris back. Mm. Next. Magic number's 11. Yeah, unfortunately. Don't, don't you wish Ron Acuna was on your team? Tell you, if Ron Acuna were, were, were playing for the Vols, he probably wouldn't be 0-2 right now. I bet Ron could play quarterback. Yeah, probably good. He, he could probably throw some, some, some laser beams out there. Dude's got a hose on him. Importantly here... Uh, Think Jeremy Pruitt speaks Spanish? Yeah, there you go. 
Have you heard my English? <laughs> my, you heard you heard my English? Ever which? And, and, Ever and who? I don't I don't know what y'all thought about it, but Pruitt he was he sounded pissed off. That was sun, uh, Saturday night. That was mm-hmm. the first time in a while he's been chippy. I, I spoke with people who had to deal with him after the game, and um, not fun from from what I heard. Not that's what I I surmised. But, but I mean, can you blame him though? Oh God, no. I mean, it's I'm just... honestly surprised that he can talk to us the way that he does without losing his head. I think he thinks just in his based head on millions of dollars. I think if he had gotten don't one, don't yell. If millions of dollars, don't yell. If he would have gotten one more question about a uh, different variation of what when, he saw on the final yeah, on yeah. the Alante Taylor play. When the first he, question he was, might have just walked out. When yeah. the first question was about that play and what defense was called and his <laughs> response was the one where you don't give up the 70-yard pass. Yeah. I about fell second, out of my chair. Second question. That, were you in a prevent defense? Uh what was the third the third question yes. was like what did you see on that play? It prevented winning. Yes. <laughs> it, it was oh, oh that was oh just bad. And even then and he also got flustered when the question was asked about that touchdown play in overtime, or this, I guess the second, the first overtime, the first touchdown, they, they just they started RPOing him to death a little when, bit there. When he said that that he he said BYU when you run a certain defense against them runs this certain play almost every time, right. and that they spent every day every day this week telling t- the players on in the Inside defensive coverage, backfield guard the slant. They're going to run. They're going to run a bunch of curls, and this one guy's running a slant. If we go into this check, they're going to go into a check, and they're going to run three curls, and the other guy's going to come run a slant. That's what's going to happen almost every time. Put it to the bank right there. And they did it throughout the game, and they did it again there, and uh, they got beat on the slant. So they knew what was coming again, but at that point, I think, in fairness, you could say that Alante Taylor probably was rattled because of the way the game uh, regulation ended. Yeah, and really the end of that game for Tennessee's defense had to be really disappointing because, like I said, before that big, long play, they'd given up 225 yards. You give up 225 yards and run for almost 250, you should be winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you're rushing for more and, yards than, and, than the other team has total yards, you should be winning. And, and you know, BYU didn't run the ball very much. I think they had minus four uh, at halftime. I think 40, they ended up with like four, 107. Yeah, 45 in the third quarter. They started getting more in, in the third quarter, but you know, the defense. You know, Latrell Bumpus got moved into the starting lineup, has two sacks. Uh, I think Greg Emerson. He kind of flashes a little bit, you know. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he, he flashed a couple times in the Georgia State game. He's a strong kid. Um, he got a holding penalty, and I think he got credited for a sack. One of those sacks where the quarterback ran out of bounds behind the line. And yeah, like, he did. He's the nearest guy, so we'll give him the sack. But still, I mean, two plays there. You know, I thought Quarius Crouch showed some things. Uh, Toa Toa made some nice plays on third down. Yeah, he did. Uh, they really kind of trimmed. Uh, they only they really only played him and Will Ignat. They didn't really play, we didn't really play Jeremy Banks at all. And he said that he re- um, he he didn't really say he regretted it, but that at the end of the game he could tell Will Ignat was gassed because he played every snap and, of the game. And you know Warren Burrell's a freshman. It's you know it's a tough life out there for for a freshman. Most he's been, freshmen are not Bryce Thompson. Yeah, he's been picked on a little bit. Um, and, and really they don't have many other guys behind him, so he's going to have to keep playing as long as uh, as Bryce Thompson is suspended. Um, not sure when that situation is going to be resolved, but. You saw a lot of things positively. You know, it looked more like a Jeremy Pruitt kind of defense for mm-hmm. three quarters, for 58 minutes. Um, a lot of pressure, a lot of different looks. You know, they brought a lot of pressure early, and the you know, and later in the game as it went on, they kind of mixed. You know, when they brought more than four, and when they you know, when they draw back in coverage and things like that. And I mean, defensively, again, you you go into the final 30 seconds, giving up 225 yards, you should be you should be winning that game. And it was obviously. Uh, you saw a lot more energy from that side of the ball, which was a, a good sign. And they got a lot of young guys and a lot of new guys playing over there. But uh, the way they ended that game after the Taylor play, you know, 
BYU went you know right through them in the first overtime, uh, and then you know when when the pile gets pushed like ten yards in the end zone, <laughs> that's that's never a good way to end the game. Where Jeremy um, Pruitt put it five yards, six yards, twelve yards. I mean, it was just that's that pile just kept going, that's a really, and going and going. That's and a, going. That's a really disheartening end, and for that particular side of the ball, I think that's that, didn't, that didn't really puts a, a black mark on how they played for most of that game. But do you remember the Gerald Riggs touchdown? Uh, at, at, I guess it was at LSU, the the hurricane. I think we were probably like in middle school. The yeah, Monday night game. Yeah, the Monday night game, the Hurricane Katrina Rita game, whatever whatever that was. When when he basically won the game by powering through the end zone there to score in very demoralizing fashion, just like that. Again, remind you, Tennessee used to win games doing that, and and now it's going the the other way. But but what do you, what do we think? We know that this is now a tough spot for Jeremy Pruitt. That there, there's no, you can't sugarcoat that. You can't deny that. What I'm wondering is just how bad is this right now? Because you do have to take the temperature of the fan base, but you can't be beholden to it. Because if you're Tennessee, you're Philip Fulmer, you have you've hitched your wagon to this guy a little bit. You've hitched your wagon to this guy, and you are paying Butch Jones a tremendous amount of money to not coach your football team. Well, do, do we need to get into the buyout stuff? Do we need to have that conversation? I hope that we don't, but let me tell you this. It would cost upwards of $12, well, I mean, $14, that, the, $15 million. You just stole my thunder here. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. I, I think Pruitt's buyout's in the 9 to $10 million range, but the problem is, is that you'd have to pay the staff an additional lots of money. Yeah. Because you've got your two coordinators who are both making seven figures, and you've got them on three-year deals right now, so you would owe the money for two years. Now, that stuff will get mitigated, but we've seen a bunch of times where those coaches go to different schools and they get paid like, if they're making, if they're making a million. They get paid like two fifty, and so the other school's on the hook for the other seventy five percent. And so you add, you know, add Jim Chaney. He's on a four point eight for a year deal. Mm-hmm. That's two or three million right there. Derek Angel would be two more million potentially. So um, the price tag would be going. It would get in the in the thirteen to fifteen million dollar range plus whatever you're going to have to pay the new coach. And and I think Grant, you made some good points on the board Saturday night that. I don't know why Tennessee fans love a coaching search so much because the last three have been disastrous. I mean, the most recent one was the worst one, and that one still didn't even end with him hiring Derek Dooley or Butch Jones, who were, I think, far inferior coaches to what Jeremy Pruitt is, yeah, personally. And and, and here's where I, the argument about the dollars and cents of it is a valid argument, uh, and that's a good reason not to do it. I think there might be football reasons not to do this, too or to even start having this conversation. Because I think it would be a little duplicitous for a lot of us, and I know I'm not the only one who said this, but I definitely said it. When Jeremy Pruitt got there, I said, it's going to take the absolute worst thing imaginable for me to make any kind of judgment on this before about the midway mark of the third year. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Because I know what he's walking into. I know how much infrastructure issues they have. I know where the psyche of these players is. I know how small this team is. I know how many busts have been on this team. And I know that right now, in general, the SEC is playing at a level that it has never played at before in terms of just how good it is across the board. So looking at all of that, I said three years. Guys, it's going to take three years. Now, did I think Tennessee would be 0-2 after, the, after two games in the second year? No. No, I didn't. I didn't think that. But – I still think at this point in the Pruitt era, I'm still more convinced 
he can be a good head coach than I am about where his predecessors were at this point. Because I know a couple things. I know how this guy recruits. I know how hard he works. He works his tail off. Someone just Saturday night was one of the people who was really upset was telling me, he goes, I've never seen anybody who works the way Jeremy does. I'm telling you, this guy is giving everything he has, and that's why this hurts so much. Uh, now, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It matters if you're successful or not. But the point is, I think the way this guy works, the connections that he has in the football world, and we've seen his ability to go out and hire good football coaches and the fact that Fulmer will give him the money to go pay for these coaches. So I think despite all this, I'm trying to see the, the macro version of this. And if all of this pain just, if people can just tolerate it for a little bit, I think there's a chance this gets better. I, think, I, I, I still do. I think you, and yeah, I, I can't get on board, even if it was like a two and 10 season and one disaster after another all season long, like we've seen the first two weeks, even if that played out, I don't know what, where it helps you to fire Jeremy Pruitt and pay him a lot of money to not be and your football start coach. over again. He's not been a head coach before. Uh, before he got here, obviously that's well documented. He's going to learn on the fly. He's going to grow a lot in that area. But I mean, you look at the. There aren't very many bright spots when you're going zero and two like they are right now. But Eric Gray's a pretty good bright spot, and and Henry Toto is a pretty good bright spot, and Quiveris Crouch, you know, played a lot of snaps the other night and made some plays. He's a really good athlete. I mean, you look at the tackles they brought in. Surely those guys are going to be good football players down the road. Uh, at some point, Tennessee football's kind of buried itself so deep with all these coaching changes over the last decade that you're just going to have to give a guy four years and take your hands off and say whatever happens, happens, uh, and judge yourself You know, four years down the line and see where you are at that point and if you want to keep going down that road. Uh, I mean, it's you know I tend to look at things through a, a basketball perspective, who wanted that Tennessee job when Donnie Tyndall was gone? I mean, that that wasn't a very desirable job. You're going to be the third guy in three seasons. Which, unless you're Arkansas State football, means you're going to suck. Right, and and Rick Barnes, you know, he was obviously out of a job, and he's accustomed to winning and everything he did at Texas. But it was going to take a while. Those first two years were long basketball years. Uh, that, that was a very average team. Recruiting was very average. Uh, There's a lot of frustrated people. But at some point, you have to take your hands off and say, this is your program, run it. And let's check back in here in a couple of years. And and the waiting is the worst because Tennessee fans constantly, it's a year-round countdown to wins football season. And it's a year-round countdown to uh, Florida week and Georgia week and Alabama week. And, and it's not fun to sit through those really, really tough years. But at some point, you're just going to have to sit through it and, and let the guy do what he's doing. And, and this may sound like, you know, I don't want to say spin or sunshine, but let the guy get in a roster of his players. I mean, he's had one full recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the 2018 class, you know, it was the first year with with the early signing period. Those guys got there, uh, what, like 11 days before signing day, something crazy like that. Yeah. So uh, this, fir- this first class was the first one. Uh, this 2019 class was the first full one that they've got, and some of their brightest players so far through two games have been guys in those classes. When you look at Eric Gray, who I think is probably the best running back on the team. Like, that makes a lot of guys miss. Maybe most complete, Doesn't, yeah. doesn't need um, – you know, doesn't need a, a lot of space to get through some seams when he's running through between the tackles. Um, really good feel for the game. Uh, Henry Toto is a guy that's starting. He's he's going to get better. He's going to get more comfortable. We talked a little bit about Crouch and Roman Harrison. Uh, he's, Pruitt said that they make a ton of plays in practice and just going to get them acclimated and get them onto the field a little bit more. Um, and, and 
you know, the two tackles are playing a little bit too. Wani Morris played a lot uh, in both games. Darnell Wright didn't play, I think, as much uh, against BYU as he did against Georgia State. But, again, another guy that – Which is know, weird because he was one of the more consistent guys in that. Yeah, and, and, and he was one of the three guys that Pruitt said was their, their best performers on the offensive line in the first game. So, um, I'm interested to see, you know, some of these young guys too, like, like Jeremy Banks. All these guys on the defensive line are basically new. Uh, Warren Burrell will get better. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if – I thought Theo Jackson was one of their better players on uh, the other night. But, you know, Jalen McCullough is a guy that, as the season goes on, I think yeah, they like Theo, him. Theo, I mean, it's Theo, just, Theo Jackson made some plays in space that were impressive. Some of the better players um, so far through two games have been guys that, that the staff has brought in, and they've been on campus for, in some cases, about three, four, month, four or five months. So um, I, I think you've got to let him get more of this roster to be – his guys and, and guys that this staff has recruited and knows and, um, and and develop some of those guys before you start wanting to pull the plug and have to hit the reset button again. And, and at the same time, that Georgia State loss is never going anywhere, regardless. And, and, and that's to say that you know even even with the talent, what it is, they had enough talent to beat both right, these teams. Right, right. And and that Georgia State loss will always be mentioned with Jeremy Pruitt just because that's that bad of a loss. Uh, and let's not kid ourselves with what what's coming up down the road here um you should beat you should beat chattanooga uh you should boy you'd like to think yeah you can't really say anything uh these days without having to kind of kind of walk it back a little bit but then i mean look what's next you have three top 10 teams in uh florida georgia alabama coming up over what the next month yeah next five weeks uh home game against mississippi state i mean you're staring at a one and six uh, I think that's right, one and six record or something before UAB comes to town in November. I mean, it's going to be awful uh, if you just go down the schedule. And it's going to ex- accelerate kind of what people expect from Jeremy Pruitt in year three uh, and in year four if he gets to that and, and kind of what they expect on re- from recruiting and just kind of it's going to accelerate everything to for him to prove something because – the start of the season's been what it's going to be, and it's not going to get any easier. Yeah, he, I, I I thought about this last night, you know, while I was trying to figure out, and I almost put this in the column, but I didn't because I think I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there yet necessarily, but I think it's worth noting that there are two kinds of hurt. Okay, there are two kinds of hurt. There's the kind of hurt you go through as a football program when you have a coaching staff that loses for a few years in a row and you have fewer fans show up for the stadium. So that's a financial hurt, right? It is. Um, and it's everyone knows that. But there's the other kind of hurt too. And the other kind of hurt is when you consistently change football coaches and you're starting, you're going back to ground zero time and time and time again. And when you do that, First off, that's a different kind of financial hurt because you're having to buy out coaches. You're having to pay for new coaches. And every time you have something come up, your job is less desirable than it was the time before. So you're going to have to pay more money to get people to come take the job. So that also is, one, a financial hurt, and two, it's a football hurt. And everyone thinks about, well, if they keep losing, you're going to have crowds of 50,000, 60,000, 70,000. Okay, you might. You might, but if you're Philip Fulmer and you think, you know what, I think this guy has a chance down the road to build something something pretty solid, you have to take that initial pain and roll with it. You have to lean into the punch. You have to say, okay, 
Maybe some of the crowds aren't going to be very good this year. Maybe some of the media attention will not be good. Maybe Tennessee will continue being a laughing star for a while. But if this guy can still find a way to recruit, if this guy can still find a way to develop players, and he keeps this coaching staff in place, and he likes them, then maybe they can eventually have a football program for the first time in forever that is completely of like-minded individuals who are moving in the same direction. Because all of the, the coaching turnover Butch Jones had... It's like you still had different tenures because you had new coordinators at different times. So, so there were still a lot of new things going on. And for the longest time, people thought Tennessee, you know, was, was stale as a program. You know what? That stability kind of helped Tennessee a lot more than it hurt Tennessee. And I just don't think you want to even consider right now going through that turnover again. I don't think you even want to consider the possibility because you're just starting from ground zero again. And that might put 10, 15, 20,000 more people in the stands for some games like next year if you did that. But is that the best thing from a football standpoint? I, I, I don't know. And I think people forget that sometimes. Some, Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech, right? Bobby Bowden at Florida State, right? And I know these, these are different eras. Very different eras. Very different eras. But if it worked then... Why can't some, some form of that work now? What, I, I've yet to be told one reason why it can't. And it's, it's because there's all this SEC network money, you know, that, that it's hard for, to get people to come to games now because there's HDTVs and all these other things and ticket prices are expensive. And, and I get all but that. But hey, there's beer now. But there is beer now, which is nice. That is nice. Expensive and, and, beer. And what's something we had, I think we've said is the crowd Saturday night was really good. It, yeah. was a lot, it was a lot livelier and a lot fuller than I thought it would be. Uh, and they were – those of you that were there, y'all were in the game from start to finish. From yep, uh, and, and you deserved a better end. But uh, you deserved I, a better twelve there, years. There's one. Well, it's true. There, there's just there's one sliver of hope, and, and one way that Jeremy Pruitt can quickly get back a lot of equity, and that's to win at Florida. <laughs> yeah. I almost got through it, um, but and people will say that's crazy. No one thought they'd win at Auburn last year. Although I'm telling you, if I'm Jeremy Pruitt right and now, so I mean, I'm, I'm that, getting that's I'm, your hope right now is that. Something happens, and, and you know this potential one and six start. The, the hope is that Tennessee has one of those days like they had last season in those two in those two games they won. I did tell somebody, and, and they beat somebody that maybe they're not supposed to, and restores some some uh, some equity and some 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 hope that I, in, in the direction of, of of this program under this staff. I did tell someone in the program on Sunday that everyone in the program needs to go on whatever desk they have, like their desk at home, their desk in their office, on the wall somewhere, on their phone as the background, they needed to go write four words. And these four words need to be not anything they say publicly, but something they tell themselves privately all the time. Four simple words. Don't lose to Vanderbilt. Don't lose to Vanderbilt. That's the last game of the season. That that uh, would be a humiliating exit. Now, they're going to have some embarrassment over the next couple months, guys. I, I don't know how many times, but they're going to get embarrassed a couple times. They just are. Look at the schedule. That's obvious. Don't lose to Vandy. Don't do it. Don't do it. That would be my advice. And, and what's interesting is, is this was supposed to be the, the schedule that was supposed to be a little bit more friendly. Yeah. Uh, and it's gonna, it might even be friendlier because South Carolina's got a new quarterback now. They're starting a freshman, Ryan Holinsky, because Jake yeah. Bentley looks like he's going to be potentially done for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holinsky looked really good, but they were playing Charleston Southern. They play Bama this weekend. 
That's, uh, that's Godspeed a, to that kid. <laughs> good, yeah, luck, good, good luck. Good luck, young fella. Uh, it's at home, but still. Uh, and then Kentucky, Terry Wilson apparently is is out for the season as well. Yeah, um, they confirmed and, it. And so I think they've got they may have a uh, I think their backups a grad transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean those are two games now that are going to look uh, a lot different from when you know you thought it was going to be going into the summer. And of course you know what what we think of Tennessee is a lot different now because I don't think anybody in their right mind thought they would start zero and two. They're, they're probably lying. Nope. I mean, I mean, a lot of people thought 1-1 one one was possible, but, I mean, nobody thought 0-2 impo- was possible because no one thought 0-1 was possible. Exactly. And this is the first 0-2 start since 1988, and that was the year Grant and I were born, so we don't remember that. Wes, you were, how old was he, 8, eight or 9, six, according to our math? Six years old. Somebody asked six. about that on the board, and <laughs> I replied that it was by far the worst Tennessee football I'd ever seen in my life, and <laughs> nobody appreciated that at all. Your dad joke went un- unnoticed. Yeah. I, I just I, I don't. So Wes would have been like eight. So you remember that, right? Yeah, I was six in nineteen eighty eight, fellas. But did they did they start? Oh, they started zero and six, right? They started zero and six and finished five and six. And then over the next couple of years, I think they won a couple of SECs and yeah, it's again a different era up, though. It set up a pretty good run. Yeah, losing to North Texas didn't define that tenure. I mean that era. I mean there there were times that that, that you know losing to Duke and, and Spurrier. I mean there have been times in the past where where Tennessee has been in dark places and come out of it. And I've told this to people before, I'm not going to spend too long on this, but I'm going to tell you guys, Tennessee is not going to suck forever. It, it will not happen. This program has won too many games for too long. There's too much money. The facilities are too good. This is not going to be an SMU where they go down and they never come back. This is that, That's not going to happen. Now, when will Tennessee come back? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Because the longer you lose, the harder it gets to come back. But I don't think this program is dead what i do think it is right now is very very sick very 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 sick and it will take time to fix this because right now you have an entire culture of of players who have been here for multiple seasons and they have no idea what really good football looks like they've never seen it they've never played really good college football and so you have to figure out a way to do that i started started covering the team in 2012 if anybody wants to start a gofundme to ship me to Azerbaijan or wherever Arsenal's playing next, <laughs> just to get away well, from the uh, program. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem. I covered a lot of bad basketball, and then once I moved off of that beat, they immediately won the SEC. So, so maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something. Your... Maybe there's something to this here. And I don't know what Wes said that on that on that uh, on your last little little tidbit there. All I heard was SMU, and I'm pretty sure Grant, correct me if I'm wrong. You said that Tennessee needs to adopt some SMU like policies to help itself get back going. Is that what you're saying? I mean, that's, oh yeah, clearly, it's never a bad idea. <laughs> If yeah. you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right? Hey, you know what? Thousands of dollars untraceable on a back porch in a backpack is cash. fail-safe. Cash and lies. Cash cannot be traced back. <laughs> cash, cash, cash. If you cash, can ask, deny, deny, deny. Cash rules everything around me, fellas. That's all I'm saying. Just and you know bur- what? Just bury some gold all around Pawnee. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. What gold? But I, I think, bef- let's, let's, end, let's end on this. I just I, saved your bacon. You don't even know where it is. <laughs> I, I think we, we need to end on this. This is... Uh, a tough situation for Tennessee. Uh, it very much is. But um, if you want to cling to anything, Tennessee did play a lot better in week one to week two. However, however, uh, the end result is still lost and it's still not good enough. Here, here's the question here. How difficult is it going to be to keep this locker room together? Because when you lose, you're going to start losing some guys. And, and even if they show up every day, they're not going to be trying as hard. They're going to have attitude issues. I don't think you can avoid these things. What kind of uh, trickery 
Because, you know, Butch Jones would try all kinds of stupid stuff and it wouldn't work. Can Jeremy Pruitt's very frank philosophy help right now? Can you tell guys, listen, you can either pout and leave or you can stay here and keep working? Well, he had a he had a quote last week of Vol Calls, and I, I imagine he probably told his, his team along the same uh, something along the same lines behind closed doors. But he's basically said, uh, you know, I'm going to butcher this. Grant, talk while I look this up. <laughs> he said, in, 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 you know, paraphrase, there's, you know, there's been some people that left the program and there's probably going to be others. And All right, here we go. I got it. Those guys need to. GTFO. <laughs> In sh- in, yeah, this was uh, no uncertain terms. This was the day uh, after Terrell Bailey went in the portal, uh, and the same day that Jordan Murphy went portal, out the portal, back door. Portal, portal. Uh, and Pruitt said that um, we probably got a few of them that might not be with us. Some of them's done left. There might be a few more, but that's okay. They need to get out of our way because we got a bunch of them over there that are heading in the right direction. So, and he said this on his show, unprompted, basically. I mean, you're on the Vol Network. You this, don't have to say this, anything. This was a this was a this was one of the encouraging calls he got on the calls it's, it's last not, week. It's not something you hear a head coach say on his weekly calling show. <laughs> no, I don't think they're gonna unless do... it's Nick Saban dropping GDs. And... But but there but there will be guys that um, who you know who don't like the the bluntness in the face of losing. Yeah, um, I mean, and you know. But those are the but kind there of, will be a lot those of guys. Are the kind of guys you're not going to win with anyway. But there will be a lot of guys that are that are ready to to kind of buckle down and put the nose to the ground, like as Pruitt likes to say, and well, what and, I like and make the most of this situation, and try to pull themselves and pull this program out of it. Here, here's what I like about Pruitt, though. He will say when it's his fault, and that's something that we've all seen in the past. Some coaches, one in particular, but also some other coaches. That's not something that they do very often. And he's a guy who will admit when it's his fault, and that will mean a lot with the players because they will know. He, they can watch film, and they know how they've been prepared, and they know. I would imagine that in that Georgia State game, that staff apologized a little bit. I'll, I'll imagine they did because they'll probably say, you know what, didn't have you ready in some ways. That's on us, yada, yada. They're going to watch that film against BYU, and they're going to know it was them. And by them, I mean the players. They're going to know. Yeah. If, they, if they didn't know it live, they're going to know it now because I'll tell you right now, that was not coaching. That was the players. It was. It's the, There's going to be locker room issues because none, nothing to do with this football program right now is fun. I mean, you, you play football to win football games, and the way they've played uh, and the stuff that's happened the last two weeks has been a disaster. And when that happens, it's hard to watch. Uh it's hard for I mean it's hard for us to talk about and write about. I mean it's it's not fun for any of these players. So there's going to be issues uh, when there's when there's not execution on the field. Uh, there's going to be issues and and how they hold it together obviously uh, will make a difference in kind of how the season goes from here. Uh, it would be hard to get much worse, but you you know this is Tennessee football. You never know it could always get worse. I started the music then because I think that's a really great thought to end on there, Grant. I, I think that's know. a really it optimistic. kind of depressing. Yeah, I can tell it this way. They're not going to be in a circle. Arby's. They're not going to be in a trust circle. They're not going to be in a circle of trust uh, telling each other, you know, like it's going to be okay. Let's play some acoustic guitar here and let's let's feel good about it. They're not going to do that. They're going to they're gonna keep working, and if you don't like it, they're probably going to show you the door. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, you can find all of us on social media. As always, I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan, who is not here, is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. You can also find all of us on social media, uh, twitter.com slash govols247 and facebook.com slash govols247. Definitely recommend both those sites and, and really that, that Facebook page. Grant's done a great job 
with that. Or if you want to go drink water straight from the hose, there is no better place to go on all of Al Gore's internets than GoVols247.com. You can get 30% off on an annual subscription right now, and for all that, you get access to us. One, one of us is pretty much on the board 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why we're called 24-7. You can go there. You can hear about Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting. And hey, guys, what, Grant, 60 days or whatever, 55 days till, till basketball time? It's a certain number of days. Certain number of days. Pretty close. There's also some good some basketball recruiting news that's kind of there is out there. It's, 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 it's an interesting time in the basketball world. Yes, they are doing some really, really... Five-star, five-star, really, five-star, 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 five-star. Or uh, you can also get Lady Vols basketball, Lady Vols basketball recruiting, Lady Vols softball news. Maria Cornelius does a great job covering them. So you know what? Just go to GoVols247.com. Pat, any final thoughts? Braves, magic number 11.